Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Coming up on Money Beat, the market finally gets a big, sexy IPO. Snap Inc. pricing on Wednesday. Parent company of the popular messaging app Snapchat. Is it really worth $20 billion, $22 billion, $25 billion? We will break down the numbers coming up right now. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Paul and Stephen here with Money Beat, as usual. And, uh, boy, big day on on Wall Street. I mean, so many things we could talk about here on this Wednesday on Wall Street. The Dow's up 300 points. President Trump delivered his uh, non-State of the Union, State of the Union address. Uh, and snap IPO. And we got away from our desk to do a podcast. And we got away from our desk to do a podcast. And you know what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about Snap's IPO because that's mm-hmm. what we find really interesting right now. Uh, crowded house today to talk about this one. Miriam Gottfried, Heard on the Street columnist, Maureen Farrell, our IPO reporter, and calling in from an airport, folks. This is how dedicated some people are to their jobs. Uh, calling in from an airport, Brian Weezer, who is an analyst at P- Pivotal Research. Brian, thanks for taking the time. Absolutely appreciate you making the time for us. Oh, thanks for having me. So, uh, what do we want to start with, Gross? Or what do you think? I mean, if things going to price tonight after the yeah. market closes, I mean, right? if Miriam, I mean, Maureen has to leave. That might be the reason why she has to leave this podcast. Is, is to break the pricing? Not is. the number. Um, is that what you're doing over there, Maureen? I yeah. see you trying to work the phones. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah. She has her, her seventeen, iPhone. eighteen. Uh, um, what are we expecting? The, no. It, well, go on, Maureen. Sure. We've, uh, the range they put out is 14 to 16. We've gotten indications that it'll very, very likely be above that range. I think mm-hmm. the question right now is, is it going to be $17 or $18? At 18, they get to $25 billion in valuation. I think it's wow. very likely at this number. point that it goes there. I think um, just what just from the chatter I hear and the interest and the demand, I, I think they get there. But yeah. you know, we won't know more until after the close is when they'll really decide. But I think, I mean, the big question, and we've done a couple of podcasts now on the Snap IPO, but we haven't delved really into this topic enough, and that's the advertising. That makes up the bulk or pretty much all of their revenue, right? Yeah. And Miriam was out uh, today with uh, her on the street column looking at that. And you know, Brian is, you know, that's his focus of, I think, coverage as well as the, the ad market. So, I mean, I think that's where we can sort of start off. What, how important is advertising to Snap, and how focused should investors be on uh, well, you know? Yeah, it's everything. If you're looking at the revenue of the business, yeah. which is a non-minor factor, in, <laughs> it's kind of everything at this point because um, they don't have profits, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, it's true. They they they, they reference negligible uh, revenue from spectacles, which seems uh, about right. It, it's not clear how important that will be as a long-term business if it's just something they're trying or if it's something they, they really honestly intend to build out. Um, so you have to take it as it is and you look at the business for what it is and it's an advertising business. Uh, and, you know, well, certainly there's a lot of, um, uh, there are a lot of positive considerations about their advertising proposition. The, the bigger question is just how big it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, 
you know, what's a big business in, a, in an absolute sense may or may not be big enough to justify the valuations that some investors will place on it. It may or may not be big enough uh, versus expectations that the company has, for that matter. Um, and, it, it, you know, but, but attempting to quantify this in some respects is uh, like trying to count the number of angels who can dance on the head of a pin. <laughs> you're going to value the pin. And preferably, you don't want to value it on, a, you know, the, the, the average revenue per angel. <laughs> well, is that a metric? Wait, is that a metric we can use? Average revenue yeah, per angel? It's, it's a very scientific one. Uh, <laughs> it, it is, uh, you know, it, it, it's much more art than science at this point, trying to quantify the, um, you know, the, the revenues uh, that it can generate. And, you know, I, I published a piece, uh, I, I guess, uh, a number of days ago, where I provided uh, a way to think about uh, revenues, which could get a U.S. revenue base somewhere between 2.0 and 3.4 billion by 2021. Um, there's a lot that you have to assume that goes well for that to happen. A Brian, lot could go wrong. I just want to interrupt you because uh, I think the reason I really like your way of looking at at this, um, and I, I kind of went through your numbers in my piece today, is um, I think you have you have a good sense of kind of how advertisers go about thinking about how they spend their money. And so often, internet analysts, when they focus on these companies, want to look at, you know, average revenue per user, and they want to look at, you know, how many users a company is getting and how much revenue they can get. And, you know, Snap itself wants us to focus on that. But really, as you point out so smartly, the users are not the ones paying the money here. It's the advertisers. And so really right. a great way to think about it is here's the pot, the big pot of advertising that's out there, grows at about the rate of GDP every year. What share can a company like Snap expect to get? Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly the point. And, you know, the, the idea of the ARPU concept works well in the subscription business where consumers paying and frankly it would be useful if we had metrics around the true users of snap the the platform which is the advertiser and we knew the number of advertisers the average revenue per advertiser and a breakdown that's of another arpa of for you <laughs> um but we don't get that i mean twitter uh, to their credit has been one of the only companies that's actually provided that um that kind of data um and and not regularly either but you know, it's 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 it would be great to look at ARPU in that in that way if we could. So we can't. We have to look at, you know, the the, the pie uh, that they're mm-hmm. looking to slice up. The challenge that Snap has that is different than how others uh, than what others face is that they are more legitimately able to compete for TV budgets. Um, I think just because Facebook, for example, says they want TV budgets, and just because they put forward to press and analysts that they're just like TV and therefore they should get TV doesn't mean it's true. Um, And so in the case of snap, their argument is more persuasive to more advertisers who matter in this case. Um, It's not completely persuasive, of course, but you think it's persuasive mm -hmm. because they target a group of people who are basically not watching as much TV anymore. Well, that's also false on the part of, you know, whether it's because of ignorance on Snap's part or because they're trying to focus on 
a story that makes them look relatively good. I, I don't know which. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, in the filing, they call out, you know, 18 to 24-year-olds are watching 35% less traditional TV over the last six years, according to Nielsen. The data points they pick are correct, but they're incomplete, to say the least. <laughs> Interesting. Um, their statistical stat. What is so, it? <laughs> but I mean, they are trying to position themselves as a more uh, TV-friendly platform, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there's no question that to, as of pre- as of the moment, they are positioning themselves to capture TV budgets. Um, hiring Jeff Lucas as their head of sales was no coincidence. It's not just that they wanted someone who can sell ads and has relationships with Madison Avenue. He's one of the best respected salespeople who's historically been focused on television. And uh, and just as a reminder, he help. came from Viacom, which is, you know, a company that has famously focused on the same ad, the same demographic, the 18 yeah, to 34 right, year right. old demographic. Well, you're talking about well, exactly. I mean, he knows where to go uh, to, you know, to chase down that money. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, 18 to 34 year olds, Put 18 to 24-year-olds aside, which, as far as I'm aware, nobody negotiates on. Nobody gets guaranteed. That's not a real demographic. Nobody, <laughs> it's not a real demographic that anyone buys on. I mean, it exists as a market break, and it's a commonly uh, considered one, but it's not a demographic group that buys are commonly negotiated against. Hmm. The well, audience is just too small. Let's take a break. Um, we want to get this message in. Speaking of, of advertising, you know, it matters, <laughs> matters to us too. Uh, we will be back on the other side more on Snaps IPO. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Need to check in on Wall Street? Listen to Heard on the Street and stay one step ahead of the headlines only on WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Money Beat. And uh, look, if you're interested, if you like what you're hearing, if you're interested in more, there are a lot of very good po- podcasts we do here at The Wall Street Journal. You can check us out. We're at WSJ. We're at WSJ.com slash podcasts. Uh, one of the Heard on the Street, Miriam's very own excellent podcast. Please listen to Heard on the Street. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter. Of course, we're on Twitter uh, at WSJ Podcasts. We're not on Snapchat. Uh, you can subscribe. We're on iHeartRadio, Amazon Echo, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music app, uh, not on Snapchat. We are talking about <laughs> Snapchat and we have a packed house here. Miriam Gottfried, like I said, Maureen Farrell, Steve Grosser, Brian Weezer from Pivotal Research and I- I'll tell you how much I hate. I- I'm sorry, Snapchat. You have I to thought do this. Every... I thought it because I thought it'd be really clever if I downloaded Snapchat during the podcast and we could sit here <laughs> while I played with it, and you could hear how annoyed I. I can't even download it. I don't know why I'm having trouble downloading it. I just want to get through crazy. a podcast without a rant against Snapchat with uh, Paul. Yeah, Paul, has... are you above the core 18 to 34 <laughs> demographic? <laughs> Maybe three yeah. times. <laughs> no, I'm not, Miriam. <laughs> Right in there, really, just right in there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Sadly, I'm outside of it. Um, we were talking about Snapchat, how it should be valued, what its business is going to be based on, the advertising market, the the IPO itself. Uh, let's 
let's continue with that. I mean, well, I think one question yeah. is you, we talked about there's a pool that they're they're going to be com- snap is going to be competing for for advertising dollars. I mean, it it seems to me it's going to face some big competitors, namely Google, Facebook. What are the challenges? It faces in sort of taking some of the ad dollars from those, uh, you know, big companies. Uh, Brian, I guess. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> let's go to Brian on that. Well, I mean, there there are definitely a lot of challenges for Snap. Um, you know, the biggest one that I hear is uh, providing justification to sustain uh, the advertising budget. Um, Snap definitely qualifies as a bright, shiny object uh, for a lot of advertisers, <laughs> and uh, they will spend money uh, right now because they think they should. And, you know, we saw this with Twitter, where there was a lot of money that went there because uh, Twitter also had bright, shiny object status. They had novel ad products. They had a top-tier salesperson who could break through to the highest levels of marketers' organizations, and they could get a budget commitment from a CMO. But the problem is a CMO doesn't have responsibility for executing against the media budget on a day-to-day basis. They've got people who do that, and they have agencies who do that, and those people have goals that they're assigned, and usually they need a lot of discretion to satisfy those goals. So, Brian, I think um, you're saying that that basically it's companies – brands, CMOs at brands directly spending on the platform right now because it's sort of like they were won over by this bright, shiny object, as you call it. But when it gets down to fulfilling the bigger strategic goals of the brand, it's not necessarily the CMO who manages the nitty gritty of that stuff. Exactly. And and so, you know, to be clear, Facebook went through this, this problem as well for many advertisers. And the difference was that, well, there are two major differences. One, Facebook became ubiquitous as a platform, which meant that Facebook could basically satisfy any goal involving digital media that any marketer had. You just needed to find a way to justify it. Twitter never had that kind of ubiquity, and neither will Snapchat. Is that just because of the user base, the size of the user base? Yeah, it's too small. I mean, on my crude estimates, uh, today Snap has approximately a tenth of the user base of Facebook by itself, not even counting Instagram. And Instagram itself is bigger in terms of tonnage, minute, minutes of use. And you're, yeah, your, your estimates are based on minutes of usage in a month. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a limit. I mean, but, but here's the thing. It's possible to develop means by which uh, an advertiser's budget can be assessed on the platform and to produce metrics that justify spending more money. But the number of advertisers who might view those metrics positively and might deem that they're the right metrics and deem that this is the right platform to spend money on might be smaller than something. Now, there are some categories of advertisers I've talked to in the studio sector. They can't get enough of it. And they will spend every dime they can. Uh, They would spend more money if more markets, more countries were available. Right now, you can't buy Snap in Germany, for example. 
So, Brian, and is it fair? that international expansion will help them when they just literally light up the market because there will be waiting advertisers who want to spend money there. So, Brian, but just thinking very different. through how their how this business could morph and where Facebook was. I mean, obviously, when Facebook went public, it was generating a lot more revenue, but it hadn't hit mobile. How much have they figured this out, the revenue model post IPO, and could Snap do this too? Like, did they really understand? how this worked when they went public in 2012? Yeah, well, Facebook was a much more mature uh, organization uh, when it went public. And, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to say without, you know, knowing the data on the inside. I'd always argued that um, the, the mobile problem that Facebook had might not have been as big a problem as uh, Facebook conveyed. Um, which is to say that most advertisers allocate budgets not based on whether a device is mobile or non-mobile. There's a budget for digital and a share of a budget that gets allocated to a given media owner. That's how budgets get set. And whether the inventory happens to run in mobile environments or not is kind of a secondary point. So, you know, in the case of... um, of Facebook, now they definitely opened up their market to, say, app install advertisers. That was new money for them. Brian, that's one thing I was actually going to ask you about. I mean, does Snap need to come up with more categories of ads? I mean, like Facebook came up with the in-stream ad that was a very successful format of ad. And Snap has like geo filters and then a few other kinds. Does Snap, will those be enough or does it need to kind of figure out new ways to place ads within its app? Yeah, I mean, it's not clear. Like, they, 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 these are some of the unknowns when looking at Snap, um, both what their ad products are going to look like, what categories of advertisers are going to appeal to, how relatively appealing they'll be. And then this speaks to the thing we haven't really hit on as much as we could the dominance of Google, let alone Facebook. Yeah. I mean, Instagram has the most similar consumer proposition, although it's obviously different. It also has a similar advertising proposition, but with better targeting, more scale, and better integration with Facebook. And then Google. Right. um, You know, when it comes to app installs, let alone performance-based marketing, Google just crushes everyone. But the point you made about uh, Instagram you know, if I'm a an ad buyer, I can buy across Instagram and Facebook at the same time, correct? Right. So, I mean, that might appeal to be, people. That's a big source of competition for Snap. The, what I hear from advertisers who have, would consider both is an advertiser who cares about getting a lot of daily reach and loves the Snap user experience and wants to build a campaign around Snap and wants to innovate with Snap might very well prioritize Snap. And it, by the way, if they have a really young SKU, like 18 to 24, put aside what they're looking for guarantees on. But if they genuinely want a young SKU, like 18 to 24-year-old, Snap's probably a better place to spend money. But there's a much broader set of advertisers who, as I said, need an 18 to 34 or a broader audience. And they need monthly reach, not daily reach, <laughs> because they need to continuously build reach and frequency. And um, for them, you know, Instagram is more than satisfactory. Hey, we have to uh, we have to let Brian go in a couple of minutes, but before we we do, I want to ask I want to ask everyone just just simply. I mean, do, do people think this is a good platform for advertisers? 
I mean, what are your opinion? I, I'm talking about the people on this this podcast right now. Like, wh- what is your opinion on that? Is this a good platform for advertisers? I guess I'll take it. I mean, I think it's a good platform for advertisers who want to focus on a targeted demographic. Do I think that's worth $25 billion? No way. Okay. That's basically it. Yeah. I mean, just from using it over the the last few months, I mean, I, I see you see how it could be compelling in terms of like the sight sound, the full video ads. As of right now, when I look at things, it's not they're not too overwhelming, but you see the whole thing. They seem to be integrating it pretty well without, you know, annoying you as a user. The question is, I mean, can they, how can they keep on doing that? Can they keep on striking this balance and make money? I don't know. It yeah. seems like we're early on to figure that out. Yeah, and even Facebook reached a limit with the number of ads that it could put into its feed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how much can Facebook, as Maureen said, or I mean, how much can Snap continue to add advertisements to, to Snapchat before it disrupts sure. the user experience? Yeah. Uh, Brian, you feel like uh, weighing in on that one? Well, Again, I think that, um, as I say, that the best, uh, most succinct way I could characterize it for, from the advertisers I've talked to is that some love it, uh, a lot of them don't know what to do with it, and others have found that there's better places to spend their money. Hmm. Fair enough. Okay. I guess we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian Weezer is an analyst at Pivotal Research. We, we really do appreciate your calling in. I know you're sitting in an airport lounge, so... Uh, you didn't have to do this, so thanks for doing it, Brian. Thanks for having me. But but we we actually could keep going for a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, we, I we think actually, like we could ask Maureen. You know, I think Maureen, you can sort of step in here. One of the questions too is tomorrow's when it starts. When it you know it prices tonight and when it starts trading tomorrow, that's not necessarily an indication completely of its business. There's a lot of things that Snap has done to sort of make sure that it it doesn't perform that bad poorly. They've, they have taken a lot of steps. I mean, they, it, it sounds by a lot of accounts that they've just been smart and obviously thinking through this for a long time, how to make this thing work. I mean, number one, they don't want it to fall. Whatever they price it at, that you need the momentum. You want the op- optics of it like being a good buy and that's the company doing well, investors getting something. So they're taking steps to set a floor you know, by many accounts, as you always do, but being very careful about, you know, who's going to be the long-term investors, who wants in. They've locked up a quarter of their shares. Uh, They're planning to sell them to a consortium of existing investors. We don't know who. But that takes, like, that really constricts the float when they sell. They're going to be locked up for a whole year. These these people won't be able to get out. So in theory, I mean, you have a bumpy, you're a new company, you have a bumpy quarter or two. You know a quarter of your investors won't be fleeing for a year. It gives, a, you know, mitigate some of the volatility. On the flip side, I think, which I think people don't always think of, we saw some of these IPOs last year that you'd say, wow, they priced at what, wherever they priced at it. Oh, they're up more than double. It's just been a few weeks and they're just going crazy, these companies. That's actually a dangerous proposition for a company because they're seemingly, you know, kind of untenable heights. They're suddenly at this valuation that really makes no sense. Like if we were to see uh, Snap turn into like a $60 billion company next week, you're going to have a different base of shareholders. It's going to be this hot money. So it's it's actually a real fear of companies for the stock getting too high. So I think they've, it seems like the company has been very mindful of that. So we're going to kind of watch it on both ends. You don't want it too low. You really, you also don't want it too high. That's not a good outcome. So uh, just, uh, just right. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Miriam Gottfried, Maureen Farrell, Brian Weezer had to leave us. Everyone, thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you, uh, you know, very soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices.